Thank you very much. It's such an honor to be with you. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray now that all the hope we heard from DA and all the extolling of your God-breathed word from Trip would now penetrate as we focus on the new birth, which is the supernatural enabling of a heart to hope like D.A. described and to love the word like Tripp presented it. Without the new birth, we're going nowhere with those messages. So come and help me and brood, Holy Spirit, over this people so that any who is not born of God would experience the wind of the Holy Spirit freely and sovereignly blowing for life. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, let's go to John chapter 3 together and we'll read the first 10 verses. And the theme that I've chosen is what happens in the new birth? What happens? So let's read John 3 verses 1 to 10. This is the words of Jesus to Nicodemus concerning the new birth. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes, and so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Another word for born again, I just want to tell you because I'll probably use it, is regeneration. That's the fancy word. Born again, born anew, born from above, regeneration, make alive. That's the way Paul talks. All referring to this same thing. And the question is, what is it? What, What happens? When it happens to you, what happens? John 3, verse 3, to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, 
He cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I start there just to to raise the stakes as high as they are. If you're not born again, you won't see the kingdom of God. You won't go to heaven. You will, as verse 36 says, remain under the wrath of God and wind up in hell. This is big. This is not a small thing. There are some Christian experiences that you may have or not have and still go to heaven. New birth is not one of them. If you're not born again, you will not see or enter the kingdom of God. So all of you right now should ask, am I born again? And if you're not sure, you really should listen. If you are sure, I hope you'll listen. Because not everybody knows what it means, even though it has happened to you. The stakes are very high. What happens when you are born again? This is an unbelievably unsettling doctrine. Anytime I talk about this, I can just see the people stir. They're shaken. They're unsettled by it. It's it's scary. And there are reasons for that. I'll give you three reasons why it is shaking and unsettling, bothersome, worrisome, scary to talk about this. Number one, the teaching about new birth confronts you and me with our total hopelessness in spiritual, moral, legal condition apart from God's regenerating grace. Apart from new birth, we are hopelessly dead. I was preparing earlier today and I thought, okay, suppose somebody says to me, I'm not dead, I'm sitting here. I'm breathing. I can see and hear and taste and touch and smell and desire. What do you mean I'm dead? Lifeless. Well, here's what I mean. When you see Jesus Christ as an unregenerate person, you don't see him as beautiful and as your supreme treasure. You see him as boring or maybe mildly interesting. You don't see him for stunningly glorious, wiping out all your other values so that he is supreme. You don't see him that way if you're not born again. Or when you hear the good news of his absolute authority. You're not happy about that. It's a threat to your authority. You're not sure you want to go there with him having absolute authority over your life. If you're not born again, the authority of Jesus, wait a minute. I've got some will here. I've got some life here. I've got some choices. (coughs) Number three, when you taste the sweetness of grace, it tastes bland to you. It's bland. When you read grace, see grace, taste grace, it's bland. Or when you want and you desire, you don't want 
God. You don't want the blood of Jesus. You don't want the Bible. You don't want purity. You don't want hope if you're not born again. So I admit that unregenerate people see, hear, feel, want, desire, but they can't want Jesus as beautiful. They can't want the Bible as the precious Word of God that Tripp described. They can't desire holiness and purity. They're all in another direction. Their will is spiritually dead. The taste buds for spiritual things are dead. They've died. That's what I mean by being dead. You can't see Jesus as beautiful. You can't hear the gospel as compelling. You can't taste grace as sweet. And you can't desire true Christian living. You might be bothered by the word can't. Romans 8, 7. Apart from regeneration, I have what the Bible calls the mind of the flesh. The mind of the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. That's the Bible, Romans 8, 7. And that's unsettling to human beings who think they're in control. You're not. Dead people aren't in control. They're being carried around in a coffin by other forces. That's unsettling. That's the first reason why it's unsettling. Second reason why it's unsettling is that there's nothing you can do to change. You're dead. John 1.13 Who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God. You aren't born again by an act of will. Dead people don't make themselves alive. That's unsettling. You're unsettled right now if you've never been taught that. What do you mean? I can't make this happen. If I can't make this happen, I don't have to do it. Human? We're looking at the Bible, not our ideas. Peter, 1 Peter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again. You didn't cause your first birth. You don't cause your second birth. You couldn't even read the book, How to Get Out of the Womb. And you can't read it now because there isn't one. God gets you out of the womb of deadness. And it's a miracle. And it's totally one-sided. And that raises many questions. We'll try to answer some of them. But that's the second reason why it's so unsettling to talk about this doctrine. Third reason. It exposes us to the absolute freedom of God. So I'm not the one who does it. He is absolutely free. 
the verse 7 and 8, the wind blows where it wills. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit of God. Where did that come from? I now love Jesus. I now want the Bible. I now crave holiness. What happened? You didn't do that. You can't make yourself like the Bible. Like, try it right now. If you came in here not liking the Bible, go ahead, try it. Click. You can't do it. You can't make yourself love Jesus. You can't make yourself love holiness. Your taste buds are dead. They have to have a free and sovereign God move mightily into your life and raise you from the dead. Now, those three unsettling things should raise this question, like, why are you here? I mean, if God raises the dead, you could stay in Minneapolis. Yesterday was the first day of spring in Minneapolis. Snowed two days before. So what are you doing out here? God raises the dead. Stay home. Piper, it's a good question. And the answer is, is easy to find in the Bible. I'll read it to you. This is 1 Peter 1.23. God caused the new birth through the living and abiding Word of God. Verse 25, this Word is the good news that was preached to you. So, God is the one-sided, sovereign, free, decisive cause of the new birth, but he uses the word of God to bring it to pass. Therefore, I did not come here for nothing. I anticipate that through this word, based on his word, the Holy Spirit will blow in this place and somebody will be born alive. Somebody will born alive again. And when it happens, my whole point and that word would have been missed if you thought I did that. In fact, if I did it, it's not real. God does it and it makes all the difference in the world. Here's the picture you should have in your mind. Lazarus has been dead four days. Remember the story? John 11. Four days, he's smelling, his sister said, in the tomb. And Jesus says, roll a stone away. And then Jesus doesn't say, meet the conditions and you will live. <laughs> Believe and you will live. He says, Lazarus, come out. And the Word created the life. Just like it did in the beginning. That's the way people are born again, and he uses Bible to do that. He uses preaching to do that. He'll use you to do it. In fact, I've got this question for you. I'm praying, I'm assuming that most of you are born again. I'm not assuming I'm preaching mainly to unregenerate people, although I know in a, in a crowd this size there are some. I'm assuming that most of you are going to listen to this and you're going to say, yes, 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 I want to be in that, I want to use that, I want to be an instrument of that in L.A. So I'm going to ask this. Would, 
Some of you are very enamored by the fact that miracles happen through people. Like you can heal people and you can exercise demons. And I, I believe that's true. But Jesus said to people like that one time, Depart from me, I never knew you. Did we not do many mighty works in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And he says, Depart from me, I never knew you. That's Matthew 7. Would you rather be a person who could walk through all the cemeteries of L.A. and raise the dead right out of the ground? Let's just say the ones who died in the last five years, just to keep it simple. Because their relatives are all around, and they'd like you a lot for that, probably. And you'd become very famous. I mean, you'd be in the news. You would be in the news. That would feel cool, and you'd feel powerful. Oh, you would. And, and, and all those people would go to hell. Maybe, right? They just live, and they go to hell after they die again. Now, what use have you been? You got your name in the newspaper. You felt some surges of power, and you're an instrument of damnation. Or would you rather be an instrument of raising the living dead who will never go to hell, ever, because they've been raised from the dead by the Word of God, and you then will be with them forever in heaven. That is a legacy that you would want. So I'm praying for two things here. I'm praying that, that those of you who are not born of God will be touched by the Spirit of God and awakened, and that others of us would be set on fire to be the instruments, the, the instruments of the Word, so that God would raise the living dead. If, if that's an odd phrase to you, do you remember Jesus said to the man who said, I'll follow you wherever you go, but first let me go bury my father. Remember what he said to him? Let the dead bury their dead. What's that? Let the dead bury their dead. That means there are living dead. That's what that means. Do you remember the parable of the prodigal son? The young son comes home, and the older son's all bent out of shape because the young son's got a party. older son never had a party. He won't even come into the party. And the father goes out to entreat him. Do you remember what he said? He said, this... This brother of yours was dead. And he's alive. So you got to have a category of the, the living dead. And they're walking all around us by the millions. And you are instruments of life. When the, when the word comes out of your mouth, God loves, according to 1 Peter 1.23, He loves to cause people to be born again by the living Word. So that's my introduction <laughs> to how unsettling this is. And now the question I said we would tackle is, what happens in the new birth? And I have three answers. And I'll try to get them from this text so that you can see them. Number one, In the new birth, you are not getting 
a new religion, but a new life. That's number one. Number two, in the new birth, you are not merely affirming the supernatural in Jesus, but experiencing the supernatural in yourself. That's number two. Number three, in the new birth, your old nature, your old human nature is not merely being improved. A new creature is being created that is really you and really new. Forgiven, cleansed, being conformed to the image of Christ by the indwelling Holy Spirit. So those are my three answers. Let's take them one at a time. Number one, in the new birth, it is not getting a new religion that's happening, but getting a new life. Let's read verses 1 to 3 of John 3. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees, mark that word, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, mark that phrase. (coughs) This man, that man, the Pharisee man, the ruler man, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I think John begins this way, telling this story, so that you and his readers back then would know we're talking about a Pharisee. And we're talking about a ruler of the Jews. So pick your seminary, right? Your favorite, most faithful, degree-granting seminary. And then pick your most religious people. And this man was a graduate of the highest level, Pharisee, and he was a ruler of that most religious people and that most conservative and faithful biblical seminary, and he's dead. And Jesus said to him, you must be born again, Pharisee. You must be born again, ruler of the Jews. It doesn't matter that you're a Pharisee. The most skilled, most Bible-saturated of all the Jews. doesn't matter that you're a ruler and have amazing responsibility. Maybe a preacher. There are preachers who need to be born again. It's a scary thought for me. I don't ever assume my office guarantees anything about my spiritual condition. It doesn't. You must have Life. So that's, that's my first point. Not new religion. You've got religion. You need new life. Born again. You've got to come alive, Nicodemus. Not just have another religion. Second, the new birth is not merely affirming the supernatural in Jesus, like, you're supernatural. You're the Son of God. It's experiencing the supernatural in you. Now, where do I see that? Verse 2. Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God. 
For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus did not respond to that by saying, Oh, Nicodemus, I wish everybody in Israel had the eyes that you have so that they could see that I am from God. He didn't say that. He didn't commend He didn't commend the recognition of the supernatural in Jesus. He said, you need the supernatural in you. You have to be born again. Seeing signs and wonders and being amazed at them saves nobody. You know why? And why they're so dangerous? They do happen. They do happen. Miracles happen. Signs and wonders happen. You know why they're so dangerous? You don't have to be born again to be amazed at them and to go to the churches where they happen. In fact, I would guess that wherever they are happening, unregenerate people are flocking to them amazed because we all love amazing things. I mean, if somebody's getting healed, that's amazing. But you don't have to be born again to think it's amazing. And therefore, it's of no necessary saving power The devil in the day of Jesus knew him better than anyone and said so. Remember, every time he bumped into a devil, we know who you are, most high, son of the most high God. What are you doing showing up here before the time? That's what they said. They knew him. They knew him better than the people knew him. Did it, did it save them that they could recognize the supernatural? It didn't save them at all. Why? They didn't love it. They hated it. You can have amazing insight into the deity of Jesus and be lost like the devil. So the, the second point here about what happens in the new birth is that what happens is not merely that a person recognizes Jesus as a supernatural being. Even the Son of God, like the devils recognize you're the Son of God. You can cast us into those pigs. Please, please, don't drive us anywhere. Give us some place to go. They were totally at his disposal. You talk about submission. No, they hated him. They didn't love him. He wasn't beautiful to them. They weren't born again. But, oh, they saw supernatural and they trembled. Nobody's saved by trembling at the supernatural in Jesus. We are saved by being born again. Not seeing a miracle, but being a miracle. We've got to be resurrected, not just see a resurrection happen. Verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. 
So the Spirit is God, the supernatural power. And when you're born of God, something supernatural is happening in you. It's not just happening out there and you see it and recognize it and are, are amazed by it. You must be born of the Spirit. And when you're born of the Spirit, you are Spirit, meaning your Spirit is now alive to God. You love what He loves. You hate what He hates. You go where He calls. He's your treasure. You're born alive because the supernatural spirit came. Or same thing in verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. God Almighty does this. I don't do it. You don't do it. The Spirit blows freely in this room. You don't know where He might come. You don't know where, what, what set of chairs He might be moving more, most powerfully in right this moment. You have no idea. He is free like the wind. He moves and He saves. So what happens in the new birth? Not... New religion, but new life, not merely affirming supernatural reality in Jesus, but experiencing supernatural reality in us. That's number two. Here's number three. The new, what happens in the new birth? Not the improvement of your old human nature, but the creation of a new human nature that's really you, Still you, and really new, cleansed, forgiven, inhabited by the Holy Spirit, and shaped gradually into the image of Jesus. Verse 5. This is the most difficult verse, and we're going to linger on it a little longer. Verse 5. This is the last point. Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What does it mean to be born of water and the Spirit? There are those who teach, and they're all around you, that baptism does that. It's called baptismal regeneration. I'll read you an excerpt from their website. And I'm not going to name any denominations. There are more than one that teach this. And I'll read you one. Holy baptism is the basis of the whole Christian life. The gateway to life in the Spirit and the door which gives access to other sacraments. Through baptism, we are freed from sin and reborn as sons of God. We become members of Christ, are incorporated into the church, and made sharers in her mission. Baptism is the sacrament of regeneration through water in the Word. Millions of people are taught that around the world. 
millions of people in very large churches are taught that baptism is the sacrament of regeneration. If that's not true, this is a great and global tragedy. And it is not true. And therefore it is a great global tragedy that millions of people, if you ask them, are you born again or do you belong to Christ or some question, they will go to their baptism as the warrant for their confidence before God. Now, so what does water mean here? Because this would be the key text they'd go to. And I'm going to give you four reasons why I don't think this, this word water here means baptism. Okay? Number one. If this were a reference, let's read the verse again. Just make sure you have it. Are you with me? Verse five. I want you to see this. I don't want to try to pull any rank here at all. I just want you to see, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, born of water, very strange phrase, right? And the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. If that were referring to baptism, like if it were saying, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you're baptized with water, like an infant being sprinkled or any other way, unless that happens to you, you're not going into the kingdom. And if it does happen to you, then you're born again as Jesus taught it. If, if it were a, a reference to baptism in that way, it seems strange to me that baptism totally drops out in the rest of this chapter because this chapter is all about how to have eternal life and how to be in the kingdom and how to be saved. Verse 15, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Verse 16, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. It just sounds like belief is it. I mean, wouldn't it be strange if you've got to be baptized or you won't have eternal life? And, and then they don't even mention it. That just seems strange to me. I can't, I mean, that's not an airtight argument that says it can't mean that, but it just seems odd to me that if baptism had that rank that Jesus would speak of faith that way. Here's my second reason. The analogy of the wind in verse 8 would seem very strange if you could attach the new birth right there to every baptism that happened. Every eight-day-old baby that got sprinkled, you'd say, that's regeneration. If the wind blows where it wills, and you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. Such are all who are born of the Spirit. If, if baptism is the point of guaranteed new birth, this wind is blowing in one place quite predictably. That's not what the verse says. It's blowing where you don't know where it's blowing. So that doesn't make sense to me if this is a reference to baptism. Number three, that was verse 8 about the wind. Number three, 
If Jesus is referring to Christian baptism here, the baptism that's coming that will save, it seems very strange that he would scold Nicodemus as a ruler of the Jews, a teacher of the Israel for not knowing about it. Look at verse 10. Are you a teacher of Israel? Of Israel. Like, you know your Old Testament, and you don't understand these things? Now, if it were a reference to baptism, I think he'd have a legitimate complaint here. I, I'm reading my Old Testament. I'm not getting this, that you think this is baptism when it says water, and you complain to me that I'm a teacher in Israel, and I don't know what you're going to make of this in the church. Here's my fourth and last reason, and this was the main one. Finally, verse 10, it sends us back to the Old Testament for some background. And where does water and spirit happen in a way that illuminates Jesus' words? And the answer is Ezekiel 36. And if you want to go there with me, I would encourage you to. Ezekiel, big prophet in the Old Testament, chapter 36. Ezekiel is prophesying about the stunning and amazing, miraculous things that will happen to the people of God as they return from exile. And we know that Jesus taught, and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Moses in Deuteronomy 30 meant that far more than Israel would benefit from the new covenant that's being established in these words. Because Jesus, remember at the Last Supper, he lifted the cup and he said, this cup is the, the new covenant in my blood. A reference back to Jeremiah 31, 31, and Ezekiel 36, and Ezekiel 29, and Ezekiel 11, and Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. All these references to the new covenant in the Old Testament. Jesus says, it's me. My blood is purchasing all those promises in the new covenant. So that's the attachment between the blood of Jesus shed and what we're about to look at in Ezekiel 36 and the new birth. So let's watch this connection. 36:24, Ezekiel 36, verse 24. I will take you from the nations and gather you from the countries and bring you into your land I will sprinkle clean water. All right, we got water now. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, from all your idols, and I will cleanse you. So water for cleansing. It's cleansing. I'm going to cleanse you from your idols and your uncleanness. So this is clearly more than physical. This is a picture of spiritual cleansing from idolatry and sin. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. Born of water, born of the spirit. I will give you a new spirit and I will put within you. I will put it within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. 
And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. I think that passage explains John 3, verse 5. Unless you are born of water and of the Spirit. To whom does Ezekiel say, in verse 28, You will be my people. I will be your God. Answer, verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. You are going to get into my fellowship, into my kingdom, through being cleansed and washed. I'm going to take away your sins. I'm going to wipe them away. I'm going to forgive them. I'm not going to remember them anymore. That's what water means here. I'm just going to wash you clean so that you can come into my presence though you've sinned so many ways. The water here is is a preparation for the kingdom through cleansing. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart and the new spirit I will put within you. So you not only have to be clean, you have to be new. You have to have a new set of, of, of longings and desires and loves and wants. And I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to take out stony, dead hearts. I'm going to put in new, living, pulsating, God-exalting heart. So you've got to be clean with water. And you've got to be new by the Spirit. And I think that's where he got verse 5. So I conclude, water and spirit refer to two aspects of our newness when we're born again. And both are important. Work with me for just a few more minutes. This is a little bit demanding. This is very important. Both both the water work and the spirit work, both the cleansing work and the new creation work are important necessary. Without this one, without the cleansing one, you might think, well, the new birth is a replacement of the old me, so I go out of existence, and a new me comes into existence. But will that work if you're saying the old me needs to be clean? So the old me, clean, can be in the kingdom. That's why I said when I stated this third thing that happens in the new birth, it's not just the improvement of the old, it's a creation of the new that is really you, the moral, responsible, human agent called John Piper existed before I was born again. 
and the moral, responsible, human agent called John Piper exists after I'm born again. And it's one being cleansed, forgiven, purified. And that's the point of the water to establish that continuity of personhood cleansed. So when you're born again, you don't vanish. You're clean. That's a part of the meaning of born of water, born of the cleansing work of the Spirit, so that the you who was will be the you who is only new and clean. And yet, the Spirit comes. Yeah, he makes you new. Because you're not just guilty needing forgiveness and cleansing. You've got really bad desires, right? You've got bad desires. You love the wrong stuff. Forgiveness doesn't fix that. But a new birth does. Taken out at the heart of stone, putting in the heart of tender, touchable flesh, writing the law on your heart so that you love to do what you once didn't love to do. You love to read what you once didn't love to read. So, the new birth is a, a work of the Spirit of God by which we're cleansed of all the stuff that would unsuit us for heaven in terms of our uncleanness and our guilt and our sin. And the new birth creates a new being, transforms the new person, puts a new person there, which is in continuity with the old but new because it's got new desires and new longings. The law is being written in here, not just written on stone and required from outside. The glory of God, spiritual truth and beauty of Jesus, the path of holiness, those things are not loved by the old you. You didn't love the glory of God. You didn't love the beauty of Jesus. You didn't love the path of holiness. And when you're born again, you do. You do. Because the heart is, is, is soft. Heart of stone comes out. A stone is dead. Dead to spiritual things. Heart of flesh goes in. remember reading years ago, one of my favorite teachers, Jonathan Edwards, you know, 250 years dead, describing in page after page what that meant to have a fleshy heart. He said, if you take a pin and prick a stone, it just breaks the pin. But if you prick a flesh, it bleeds. It's tender. It's responsive. It's alive. So that when spiritual things come, there's, there's responsiveness to it. Yes! One of my guys in my preaching class asked me Thursday, John, do you think we should preach on sin to the church or just mention sin and get on to the good news? And I said, I'm 67 and I find it sweet 
and unbelievably helpful for rich, solid expositions of my sinful condition to be delivered to me. My heart is so hungry to have my sinful layers peeled back and my heart pricked and bleed for my sins that I don't even understand. I don't think we ever get beyond our need for the preaching of sin. It just needs to go deeper and deeper. And I just mentioned that as an illustration of how my heart hasn't grown beyond the need to be told I'm a sinner and exposed in fresh ways of, I mean, what? I need to understand my marriage better. I've been married 44 years. I'm trying to understand. No, you, 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 don't, you don't understand. <laughs> you don't understand. I feel like I know less about it now than I did 20 years ago. I am more perplexed by me in relation to her, by me. I'm not talking about her. I'm talking about me. I'm more perplexed by me in relation to her now than I've ever been. I need really wise, deep preachers to, to unfold my selfish, self-pitying, pouting, oh, poor me heart for the sake of my, my marriage. God in the new birth put a fleshly heart in me. It's been easily pained for 63 years. Or did I do my math wrong? 61. I'm 67. I was born again when I was 6. 61. I'm almost done. Let me wrap it up like this. Summary. In the new birth, Nicodemus and you and I don't need a new religion. We need new life. Number two. In the new birth... We don't merely affirm that Jesus is supernatural and recognize it and amazed by it. We must experience it in ourselves. We must be the objects of the supernatural. The Spirit works here. The Spirit blows here and awakens and takes out the heart and put in the heart. And thirdly, it's not mere improvement of the old it is water cleansing the old so that the old now is free from all that guilt and all that stain and all that uncleanness. And it is the Holy Spirit shaping me. I have this picture. See if this sticks. I picture the new heart that the Holy Spirit is making is, is now um, supple clay, like putty, clay, dough, play-doh, whatever that stuff is now. Um, and the Spirit comes and he, he pushes himself into this ball of, of clay like this and, and he pushes himself in there and he moves around until the shape of the spirit is the shape of my life. 
And the Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. And therefore, I'm being made Christ-like. And as I, as I fail and squish and grieve, He pushes in again and moves around. He's going to be doing this until Jesus comes or until I'm dead. And I'll tell you, it can be very painful sometimes and wonderfully rewarding other times. And He's going to be doing it. He is God. He won't drop you. If you're born again, you're never going to be unborn again. He'll keep you to the end. Leaves one last observation. How does the new life imparted in the new birth relate to Jesus' life? John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the life. Or John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Or John 20, 31, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing have life in His name. So I've, I've argued that in the new birth, the Holy Spirit moves, takes out the heart of stone, puts a living heart in there, gives life. I haven't, I haven't said anything about how that relates to Jesus. <laughs> That's a big omission. Here's the answer. What happens in the new birth is that the Holy Spirit brings us into vital connection with Christ who is our life. I am the vine. You are the branches. How does that happen? That's new birth. Connecting your dead dry branch on the ground with the living vine so that life is flowing. That's the new birth. But the life now is clear. is Jesus. Jesus is the vine. The Holy Spirit was sent into the world to glorify Jesus. And the way the Spirit glorifies Jesus is making Jesus the life that we have. Uniting us to Jesus. Last observation. New life makes faith possible. Since spiritual life always wakens faith, it never exists where there's no faith. I said at the beginning, probably the most unsettling thing I said was, there's nothing you can do to make yourself born again. That's true. But, even though from God's side, it is decisively God who causes the new birth, just like God brought you into being the first time, He brings you into being the second time. The first cry out of your mouth as a newborn babe is, I trust you, I love you, I treasure you. That word, faith, love, treasuring, is the fruit of the new birth, not the cause of the new birth. If you made it the cause, you'd get the glory. If it's the fruit, he gets the glory. Here's the way John puts them together in his epistle. 1 John 5, 4. 
Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. Okay, which is it, John? Everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. New birth, faith. New birth, faith. Let me leave it with you this way. Objectively, what is happening is that God Almighty is raising the dead when you're born again. Subjectively, what you experience is faith. I believe. You're reading your Bible one day, boring. You're reading the Bible the next day, faith. You're reading Jesus one day, meaningless. You're looking at Jesus the next day, my Lord and my God. What happened? You didn't make that happen. Jesus, God made it happen. But your experience of it is faith. I love you. I trust you. You're my God. You're my Savior. You're my Lord. You're my treasure. That's new birth talking. So maybe I should leave you like this. Since the way that you experience this sovereign miracle of God and his gift of new birth is by trusting and treasuring Jesus, since that's the way you experience it, then I should invite you in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit at this moment to embrace him. To embrace him as your Savior. Embrace him as your Lord. Embrace him as the supreme treasure of your life. And thus you would know, I'm born again. Let's pray. So Father, I ask that whether it's now or five years from now, that the seed, the incorruptible seed of the Word of God would not come back empty from DA or Trip or me. God, collect these words, holy words, on hope, on word, on new birth. Collect these and collectively power your way into all our lives, I pray. And make a difference in this city. Raise the dead by the thousand, I pray in Jesus' name.